This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. So for those of you who've been listening along, you may remember episode 115 about the highly sensitive mother. I have to tell you that that was one of our most highly downloaded episodes, talking to Julie Bieland about the HSP trait and highly sensitive mothers. It resonated so deeply for me because I am also an HSP, highly sensitive person, and HSP mother. And I believe that one or both of my children have HSP traits as well, but in in different ways. I've been really wanting to have Julie back on to talk about the HSP trait. And I thought it would be fascinating for us to discuss what an HSP trait might look like in an infant. And is that even possible? So that's what we're going to talk about today. Signs of a highly sensitive baby. And then we'll get into some other really cool thought-provoking things about what happens if you as a mother or parent are also an HSP, and kind of how to deal with all of that. Our guest today, Julie Bieland, is an HSP psychotherapist, global HSP consultant, and author of several books for the sensitive, and has helped thousands of highly sensitive people around the world. As an HSP herself and mother of highly sensitive children, Julie understands the trait on a personal level, as well as being one of the leaders in the field of high sensitivity education. Her mission is to spread awareness and education of the trait and to help HSPs reduce the challenges so they can access their many gifts. Julie invites you to explore her website that is full of HSP resources, juliebielland.com. I'd really love to hear any feedback from you guys on this episode and any of our other episodes. I just find this to be super fascinating and it's resonating with a lot of our listeners. So if you want to shoot me an email to momandmind at gmail.com, Let me know your thoughts about this episode, or if you have any specific questions you'd like answered in later episodes. So let's get into this great conversation with Julie. Welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for coming back with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk about this subject today. Oh, man, I am too. I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot, as will everyone who's listening. 
So yeah, today we're going to get into some details a little bit more about the highly sensitive person. Last time we talked specifically about the mother, but I'm wondering about babies and their kind of makeup and how somebody know if they had a highly sensitive baby and then what to do. So yeah, let's kind of start there. Okay, well, as we were talking about before we started recording, I'm really excited that you're talking about this subject in general, because I'm not even aware at this point of anybody talking about the highly sensitive infant, actually, in that first year of life. So that's exciting. And we do have research that's showing that highly sensitive children, given the right types of support in their childhood, are actually less likely to experience anxiety and depression but those that are not given the right kinds of support are more likely to have anxiety and depression and other problems in adulthood also. Mm -hmm. So it's such an important thing to talk about. It's my mission and passion to spread education and awareness of this trait. So I'm really glad you're talking about it. But yeah, I have a whole list of things I could talk about that we might see in an infant if you wanted me to jump into that. Yeah, I'd love to. And I'm going to be thinking about my kids while you're talking about it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, let's see if they fit. (laughs) And then also let me preface by saying that, of course, these different manifestations of some of these indicators are going to show up in different ways. And Also, a lot depends on the parenting style. So if we're seeing, you know, how the parents are themselves in their own world, if they're coming from a centered patient place versus they're highly stressed, highly anxious, Mm. it's going to be a direct correlator to how the infant actually experiences their own sensitivities. So that's always very interesting. And also, in addition to that, there's a spectrum even on the scale of sensitivity. So you're going to have some that are very high on the scale, others lower on the scale. And and it varies between, you know, some children might have more physical sensitivity, some might have more emotional, Mm -hmm. social sensitivities. So all of that kind of varies. But some of the things we might be seeing as indicator in that first year of life, and this has been something that I've been interested in. So I've done some research on this myself and did some polling for parents of sensitive kids to see what kind of she was showing up. And I also have sensitive kids. So this is sort of a culmination of all of that. So we might see things like some more like advancement in speech and development. They might be picking things up faster, highly observant. We're also going to see frequent overstimulation. So you'll see things like, especially if you're around a lot of people, You might see more crying, meltdowns, fussy behavior. And then physically, you're going to see things like possibly more prone to sensitive skin, like rashes, diaper rashes, Mm -hmm. other kinds of rashes. That's showing up in sensitive babies. You might see more sensitivity to chemicals, even in skin wipes. I know a lot of moms have talked about that, needing to get more natural alternatives for certain babies, even in cleaners that we're using in the home. Like I can even think about my son had developed some allergies when he was little and I did a bunch of research on it and took out all the chemical cleaners in the home Uh and started to use all natural stuff. And it made a difference even in the laundry detergent, for example, that you're using for your baby. So these are things to think about. More prone to allergies, that's showing up. Food sensitivities, you might see things like more gassy babies, more spitting up, 
-hmm. Even textures of food, that showed up a lot, that certain babies have problems with certain textures of food. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're even going to be potentially more sensitive to what the mother's eating if she's breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. So going into the milk, that's also showing up. Sure. Sensitivity to even textures in the environment. Like clothing or? Clothing, Uh seams and socks, tags. Oh, boy. All that stuff. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have been through so many pairs of socks with my son. I can't even, every time we put it, I can feel the bump. I can feel the bump. It's been, yeah. All right. Yep. I've seen my kids in a lot of this. Okay. Yeah. My youngest was like that. It was like, well, he would take the longest time with the seam in his sock to get that just right. And right. You know, hopefully we're, we're going to get, oh. you know, there's even some clothing now that's being made for sensitive kids. So the things like even strong reactions to being wet, dirty, Mm -hmm. sticky, that's something that is showing up also. Like there's parents talking about how the kids don't want to have their hands in something that's kind of dirty or sticky. I know my sons would have a strong reaction to like, even if water was like running down their arm, like down inside their sleeve or something. Uh Oh, there was a big reaction to that. Even we're seeing things like preferences for adults with softer energy levels and voices. Like parents talking about they're noticing, you know, somebody has a big energy, a big voice, loud. They're seeing reactions in their kids, in their babies. We might see some sleep sensitivities where it can take longer to fall asleep, to stay asleep. Sometimes parents are noting that it takes them a little bit longer to do the soothing, self-soothing and greater noise sensitivity, reactions to loud noises, you know, sirens going by, just anything that would be a loud, startling noise, and even more sensitivity to temperature changes can can be there. And then the last couple of them that I kind of wrote down to talk about today, there's many, but these are just kind of some of the main ones. Needing to be held a lot, kind of that soothing, holding, and then also now, this separation anxiety can be a problem more so in infants where their parents are highly anxious or high stress, like if there's a, not a relaxed environment at home, that's uh-huh. going to show up in more separation anxiety. So you see some of these in your kids? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I wasn't like literally taking notes on all of them, but good at least half of them. For sure. Yeah. But in different ways for different kids. And, you know, I mean, I think you described this a little bit. It kind of depends on their temperament and how they're made up and what shows up in one kid might be a little bit different kind of sensitivity that shows up in another one. Yes, just like in adults, it shows up differently in children as well. And there's so much impact on how they're parented. You know, if you have a parent that's being very in tune with the baby, Mm -hmm. then they're going to have less issues with some of these things. It's going to be more of a natural process. You know, a lot of moms talked about how they just kind of learned what worked and what didn't. And especially HSP moms and tend to be very in tune. That's something that's even showing up in the research, more creative parenting, Mm -hmm. more in tune in general to their children's needs and we're also showing up with more stress also. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math. 
in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about like most of the moms that I meet with that they themselves either have the HSP trait or they themselves are dealing with like a postpartum depression or anxiety and then also have a child with these HSP traits. There's one way I think that it kind of shows up for moms who are having more of like an OCD type of, it's almost like their intuition and their sensitivity is on hyperdrive and they're like, oh, you know, overly hypervigilant about their child and their child sensitivities. I'm just like really fascinated by the intersection of HSP baby, HSP mom, but then also when there's a clinical diagnosis in the mix, what that does for everybody. Oh, absolutely. I think you said the word vigilance. I mm -hmm. think that, that that kind of hypervigilance, that can impact everything. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So given all those potential characteristics, and maybe there are more, and like you said, some might show up and some might not. This for me, as I'm listening to the list, when I think of it as like, oh, this baby might have a highly sensitive traits or a highly sensitive system, it feels very different than thinking of them as problematic or colicky or whatever other like, you know, difficult baby, all those other kind of labels that we put on babies like that. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you're bringing that up because I think that that's such an important thing in general. I talk a lot about that in my work, talking about the how we're labeling this trait mm -hmm. in general. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, getting told that you have a problem baby or that there's something, something yeah. wrong with the baby, that's going to create more stress and more problems. And I think it's really right. important to note that in general with sensitivity, there's so many gifts that come with it. And we need to find ways of sort of existing in the modern chaos of life mm -hmm. while at the same time making sure we're taking care of our needs, you know, mm -hmm. and our baby's needs, our sensitive children's needs. 
and as adults as well, just being able to take care of our needs and looking at this as like, because this actually shows up in all HSPs. If we're centered and balanced and having our needs met, our sensitivity levels go down Hmm. versus if we're, you know, hanging off the edge with massive stress and we're not centered and balanced, our sensitivities are higher. Uh So that um, makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Same thing with taking care of a sensitive infant. If we're dragging them around all over the place and they're missing their naps and they're not having, you know, things are not consistent in their routine or we're putting them in environments that are stressful to them, then there's going to be more problems that they're experiencing. So I just think that labeling of it is very important to understand that sensitive doesn't mean weak. Mm-hmm. Sensitive is not bad. You know, if you think about just even the artists, some of the greatest artists of all time right. are actually HSPs. There's right. a, such a beautiful quality to these traits and looking at labeling them in a different ways. You know, these are also going to be incredibly empathetic, compassionate, loving children. And I hear over and over again, I work with different psychologists, psychiatrists and stuff too, and consulting. And we talk a lot about how amazing these kids are. Mm -hmm. They're just remarkable and how they see the world and who they are in the world. is just such a beautiful thing. And I'm, well, anybody that follows my work knows how passionate I am about this trait. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You do amazing, amazing work, which is why I'm having you back because my mind is sort of blown by just thinking at this depth, not only for moms, and I want to understand how HSP moms and HSP babies and all of that kind of work together too. But just as you were talking about this too, and thinking about how those artists that have that empathy and whatnot, they were HSP babies, but Back in the day, I don't think too long ago, we were thinking about babies as not really, not much is going on with them. They're just there, but they have a very rich inner world and, you know, they have their own processes through their own mental health and thinking about them as having these traits just for me anyways, just opens up this whole other idea about babies, that these sensitivities are alive and well in them already. Yep, they're innate. And actually, it can go back even into pregnancy. The Mm -hmm. mother's physical and mental health during the pregnancy is also going to impact that infant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Well, I was thinking about, there's so much to talk about just in pregnancy even. And I guess it would be hard to know if you have an HSP baby during pregnancy, but certainly in the postpartum period, you know, if a mom with who knows that she herself has HSP traits and then also has a baby who has HSP traits, I'm wondering, like, what is that interplay and how to support mom and baby if they both have higher sensitivities? Yeah, I think in general, being able to understand what the trait is and what are the differences of this I guess we can go into even a little bit of detail about the trait for anybody that's listening to this for the first time. Yeah, that'd be Uh, great. So it's an innate trait, and so you're going to most likely see, if you see a highly sensitive person in your family, there's most likely going to be other ones too. (laughs) Right, right. So we see it in about 20% of the population, and they've already found it in over 100 species, in fact, and it's equal in gender, Mm -hmm. and about 70% are introverts. So it's not the same thing as introversion, but we have some overlap to that. Mm -hmm. And 
There's brain differences that are important to understand also. And I think that that's where I always want to start with an HSP is like, first, understand why you are the way you are. I mean, I just got this yesterday. In fact, I got the most beautiful email from a reader of one of my new books. And she was talking about, I mean, she was the reason why I wrote the book and why I put so much passion and stuff like that is she talked about how just understanding herself and Mm -hmm. why she is the way she is and who she is as a sensitive person and, you know, just all the different aspects of understanding who you are within this trait changed her. It just completely changed her and her life. I mean, I think the title of that email was thank you for changing my life. (laughs) You know, There's just, I hear this constantly. I know I experience this myself as a sensitive person. Yeah. Going like, wow, like to normalize it, to validate it. Absolutely. Oh, okay. This is the reason why we experience it this way. Okay. Mm -hmm. That makes sense now, you know, Mm -hmm. starting out with that of knowing that you are going to be different in the world and that understanding why. Right. part of it and that you're going to need to take care of yourself differently than 80% of the population as well. Yeah. And I think that that self-care piece is such a huge part of it. And I think in general, moms and HSP moms, my goodness, mm-hmm. they're the ones that have the least amount of self-care from what I've seen. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and yet the ones that need the most actually. So a yeah. lot of my work in working with HSP moms is about, okay, we need to remove these barriers and challenges to getting the right kind of quality downtime, for example, mm-hmm. having alone time, mm-hmm. being able to recharge. You know, we have the depth of processing of this trait that means that we have to do so much brain processing. There's, you know, hundreds of tubes of information going into your brain <laughs> as a yeah. sensitive person. And that all needs to be processed, which creates the overstimulation that comes along with it. So kind of understanding why you're like that and that we're recommending HSPs have two hours of alone time a day. Right. Which is very hard for parents, for new new moms in particular, but new dads too, for sure. Yep. Very, very hard. But it can be done in different creative ways. Even if it's a seed that's planted with like making little changes, whether you get a half an hour here or there or an hour in the morning or an Mm -hmm. hour in the night. Sometimes that can be done with support of friends and family and partner and, you know, helping with navigating that time. But if you put it in your head, and the thing is, is like, if you actually do it, the rest of the time, your life is going to be so much better because sure. you're, you're not going to be falling off the edge of, you know, of stress. You'll be more balanced in general and being able to handle all that comes with having a new baby, that the exhaustion sure. and the more responsibilities and all of that, the patience that's needed when you're exhausted. Yeah. All of that's going to be better if we can get that downtime. And just as a culture, changing that shift of we need to make sure that new mothers are getting that. Mm-hmm. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, as you were just saying that right now too, I'm thinking, I wonder what that kind of needing downtime, how that might apply to an infant. Mm-hmm. Certainly they get quite a bit of sleep and they get, you know, held if they need and want to be held. They're held quite a bit. But I'm wondering about overstimulation for babies too. Oh, absolutely. Like it's the same. They need that downtime too. Like they've been in a stimulating environment where maybe it's loud, there's bright lights, there's a lot of people around. It would be important to 
give them breaks from that. Think about the five senses as an example of like, if we can give a break to the senses, that's a good way of looking at it. So I love that. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. The before and after, like they're going to attend some event, family get together or something. Mm-hmm. But you're making sure they've got that quiet time before the event, after yeah. the event, and yeah. even within the event. Just yeah. keep, if you're noticing the baby getting kind of fussy, go to a quiet room. It's going to be good for the mom too. Sure. Both of you go to the <laughs> quiet room and take a little break and it's going to make a difference in that infant for sure. Hmm. I mean, thinking about that kind of fussiness and whatnot, just in the perspective of HSP traits, just changes so much for a baby. Yeah, um, doesn't it? They're not just fussy. Yeah, they might need to chill out a little bit. I mean, Yeah, because it doesn't necessarily mean because it's a sensitive infant that they're going to be fussy. If the infant is getting the right kind of support and care for their sensitive nervous system, they're not necessarily going to be fussy. I mean, they could be very happy, jolly baby also. So I want to make sure it's good that we're actually mentioning that. So not giving the idea that a sensitive baby is just going to be crying all the time. If they do get their needs met, they're going to be a joy. You know, they're going to be happy and you're not going to see that fussiness. Right. Because their systems are more regulated. Yeah. Hmm. I'm just kind of letting that soak in there for a minute. Yeah, I've noticed that sensitivity in both of my kids, specifically related to sleep. You know, I've met some kids and some babies that can sleep anywhere at whatever time and they're relatively fine. My kids were not those kids. They, they're sleep sensitive. If they don't go to bed around a certain time or if that happens for more than two days in a row, they just aren't quite themselves. And that can take a day or two to like to reestablish. And I imagine that, you know, that was true for them when they were little too, well, from birth. Yeah. I always joke around that, like, there wasn't a lot of rules in my childhood, actually. But one of them was I could not spend two nights in a row with a friend. Yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) As a sensitive kid, kid, I would get sick every single time because I was too overstimulated, didn't get enough sleep, and I would get sick no matter what, every time it would happen. That is fascinating. That happens with my daughter. If she spends the night, like, at her cousin's house for two nights in a row, she's just, like, not herself. That's (laughs) amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it shows up like I have two highly sensitive children and one of them, you know, he'd fall asleep anywhere. So it was kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. And my other one, no, I had to have all the right kind of conditions. <laughs> right. Just fall asleep in the stroller or anything like that. Right, so, right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That is just so interesting to think back on it. And yeah, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while, how this applied for those early years. And I'm thinking too of, you know, the mom's parents who who are listening now and who have infants is like, these are really great tips just to, you know, if you think that you have potentially a child or an infant with these HSP traits, then taking some breaks is really, really important. Yeah, it's going to be very important going to, as I, I do parent consults too. So a lot of the stuff that comes up with parents is like, I try to take my child to a birthday party and they just have this meltdown and I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) You know, it's usually around overstimulation and how do you manage that? So making sure that, you know, they've eaten before you attend, make sure that they kind of keep that blood sugar stabilized throughout the event. If it's a longer event, 
getting that little, you know, time away, like I was saying, mm-hmm. stepping outside a little bit. It is important. And it's interesting because it'd be interesting to kind of think about too how this intersects. For example, HSPs have a more activated brain mirror neuron system, mm-hmm. which means that what they're viewing, they literally start to fire some of the same neurons. So mm-hmm. if you think about an infant and, you know, the parent is experience is getting mirrored in the infant too. So if the mom's like really stressed out and not well or not balanced, the baby's going to be picking up on that. I mean, there's a facial cues and body language that 80% of the population misses, but a sensitive child is not going to miss it. They're picking up on all that stuff. Whoa. My head just exploded. (laughs) (laughs) That is fascinating from an infant's perspective the mirror neuron thing from an infant's perspective. I have not thought of that. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So, well, that brought up a couple of things. So for one, if mom is having difficulty with depression or anxiety, then all the more reason to kind of seek out support and find ways to heal through that. I mean, we do know in the research that certainly like severe and long-term stress, high stress, depression, anxiety does have lasting impacts on the baby and infant, but the more kind of mild to moderate stuff, not necessarily. But then I'm wondering about this HSP trait. Not that my main concern right now is all the moms who are listening who are like, oh my gosh, my baby's sensitive and I'm ruining them. That's (laughs) not what we're saying. No, (laughs) That's not what we're saying. And also if there is a high stress environment, then all the more reason to kind of be paying attention to kind of recovery times for baby. Yeah, recovery times for baby and mom. And, you know, for the HSP moms that are, or any moms that are out there listening to this, you know, it comes up so often. I've never spoken to a mom that was said like, oh, I do everything right. You know, we tend to be so hard on ourselves. (laughs) I hear constantly, I'm not good enough. That core is there for so many of us as moms. And I think that the least that we could get out of something like this is like, if you can't, find it within yourself to believe that you need the care or that extra care for yourself. Mm -hmm. Know that if you do that, you're going to be impacting your child. If you give yourself that extra nurturing, you work on your own stuff, whether that's going to therapy, working on like the holistic part of who you are, Mm -hmm. trying to find out how can you live closest to your center. You're going to be impacting your child, your infant for the rest of their life, even in attachment styles. and. Because I have found that as difficult as it is for moms to kind of take that time for themselves, mm-hmm. if they think it's going to impact their child, they'll do it. That's when right. mama bear comes out. It's like, okay, I'm going to do whatever I can to take care of this child. Right. Let me tell you, taking care of yourself is taking care of your child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with that whole idea of like, if mom can kind of center and regulate, then that's helpful for a baby too. Yeah, it's so important because, you know, sometimes you'll hear that, well, if I feel guilty, I'm taking time away if I go do that yoga class or if I go for a walk by myself. Mm -hmm. But it's important to know that every time you do anything that that brings yourself to that centered, balanced state, you're going to be benefiting your child in just Mm -hmm. so many numerous ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking, too, that there's a piece of advice that I will often give moms or dads who have a baby who is either there, the parent themselves are feeling stressed out, or the baby is also like crying a lot and difficult to soothe is I will tell them to, you know, take 
long, slow, deep breaths themselves as they're holding their baby and use gentle movements and soft sounds and stuff like that to not only regulate themselves, but their baby too. And oftentimes baby will respond to that. Like, and now with this like infant mirror neuron thing, I'm thinking like, wow, there may be something even deeper to that. Oh yeah. That they're feeling and sensing you relax and they relax. Um, Yes, they're going to be mirroring you. mm -hmm. So I love that you're giving that advice about the deep breathing because our brain doesn't have that ability to tell the difference between real danger and perceived danger. Mm -hmm. So if we start to feel anxious about something, the brain can actually perceive as like a real threat Mm -hmm. and it changes how it uses oxygen in the system, for example. And one of the things that happens is we start taking shallow breaths, short, Mm -hmm. shallow breaths to preserve the oxygen to go into the muscles for fight flight and an HSP has a more activated amygdala, which creates that fight flight freeze mechanism happening in the body. So if you can do that, that deep breathing where you really slow the exhale and I say, count out the exhale to like a seven. So you're counting into maybe a four, holding it for a couple of seconds and counting out as a seven. So the exhale is very slow. You do that for like three to five breath cycles. You shift actually how your brain's labeling what you're experiencing so that it doesn't send the signals of releasing adrenaline and creating that whole limbic system activation. So that breathing is available to you all the time and go into that because if the brain is like, oh, well, I wouldn't breathe like that if I was in real danger. (laughs) I must not be in danger. (laughs) That's kind of what happens in the brain. So yeah, it's super important what you're saying. Oh, that's good to know. And I mean, yeah, great tip then. Even a deeper understanding of how we can calm ourselves and our babies too. Yeah. So I'm curious if and what you've seen for both moms or parents who have the HSP trait and who may themselves be more highly sensitive and then also have a baby or infant who has these traits. What are the, I guess, difficulties that you see there? Or challenges, rather. If they both have the trait. Uh uh Well, then it is incredibly important to, you know, what comes up a lot is, especially if kids, kid, like the, say, the sensory stuff. So say the mom's already feeling sensitive Mm -hmm. or her her sensitivity level is like a little higher. Maybe she's been more tired or something like that. And then even the cry of a baby is loud. Yeah. That's a loud sound. And, <laughs> yeah. and even as the kids get older, that comes up a lot of like the sensory sound can be difficult for mm-hmm. sensitive like and parents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The volume. Mm-hmm. So in general, when you have an awareness of like, okay, if there's a bunch of noise going on and I feel, I'm starting to feel irritable and I can label it as, well, this might be an HSP thing that I need to take care of. I will then head down the route of doing things to take care of it. You know, whether it's like putting in, you know, soft music or even earplugs. Like there's, I love those silicon earplugs because you can actually put them in, in a way where you can still hear what's going on, Mm -hmm. but the volume is down. Yeah. Yeah. As an example, if you're really feeling sensitive. So you sort of can feed off of each other's sensitivities also. So if your child's having, you know, like, Illness is something that there's usually three ways that we get more impacted, even if we've been in a centered place as a sensitive person. So if we haven't had enough sleep, yeah, we're sick, mm-hmm. or there's a bunch of you know stressors happening all at once. Mm-hmm. So you know, say the family's moving or something's big going on in the whole family. Now you have to sort of take care of 
at least two people in the family are going to have special needs in that, right? Yeah. How do we take care of them and make sure they're going to be okay and supporting both of their sensitive systems? Mm -hmm. So sometimes that can be difficult when, say, the whole family gets sick or there's a whole bunch of stressors going on and now everybody's in a more sensitive space. But again, if we look at the labels, we even know this about how the brain works. So if we're labeling this as, you know, alarm bells, like, oh my gosh, this is a horrible thing that's going on and we're completely stressed out about it and it's really, really bad. If you're like, if your brain is labeling it as that, you're actually going to intensify and magnify the difficulties. Hmm. But if you can go, okay, you know what? We've got a lot of stuff going on. We need to, what are the basics? How are we going to take care of ourselves at a basic level? Hmm. How are we going to take care of our sensitive needs right now? And again, this Hmm. comes from understanding that you're experiencing this because I know a lot of us we don't even realize that the sensory stuff is impacting us and since the this is a trait scientifically called sensory processing sensitivity it's not a disorder it's a trait Mm -hmm. but it is a sensory processing sensitivity so for an example if there's Maybe a parent is trying to cook in the kitchen and the children are coming in and there's a bunch of noise and the fan is on over the mm-hmm. stove and the TV's on and there's all kinds of noise. Then it's possible that that sensitive parent is going to feel incredibly irritable, maybe even go into anger. You know? Sure. And then, so, but if you understand that this might be some sensory stuff going on, mm-hmm. there's a way that we can change our experience of it. If we don't know what's going on, we can't fix it. But if we understand, it's like, okay, maybe what we need to do is work within the family of making this easier. So it's like, we're going to turn the TV off. Questions come after cooking, not Uh during, you know, just things like (laughs) kind of keeping things less stimulated, right? Yeah, absolutely. (sighs) That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And there are sometimes things you can't quite turn down. Like if a baby is crying, then, you know, what are the other things that you can reduce the stimulus on? You know, I mean, it's a lot about managing the environment once you know about this trait. Yeah. So you wouldn't go to the grocery store as an HSP parent who's already depleted and then the baby's already overstimulated. And <laughs> right, like <laughs> so, a different time. Yeah, you'd even find preventative. So I think that there's a lot that can be done preventatively so that uh-huh. you're not experiencing that overwhelm and the overstimulation. And again, kind of understanding it in that sensory level as well mm-hmm. is going to be important for yeah. anybody that's sensitive in the family. Sure. And I'm curious then too about what if one of the parents does not have the HSP traits, but does have a child with the HSP traits. My assumption is that that might be frustrating for a non-HSP parent or that it would be difficult for them to kind of understand the sensitivities of a child if they themselves don't have it. How do you see that play out? Yeah, I've seen that a lot when I work with parents and families. And if you can... You know, again, if the non-sensitive parent, the non-HSP parent, they're not going to get it completely. They're not going to understand on a, like a personal level Mm -hmm. what it is like to experience this kind of sensitivity as an example, but they can be told what it's like and what a person's needs are. So Mm -hmm. if they are a parent that has a sensitive child and they're not sensitive themselves, again, learning about the trait understanding why the child is experiencing the things that they do and 
I have seen this across the board. As soon as there is an explanation for why something is the way it is, mm-hmm. it's so much easier for a parent to kind of wrap their head around it. Uh, yeah. And, sure. you know, there are definitely big issues that come up if a parent doesn't believe in the trait, for example. I've seen mm-hmm. stuff like that happen, and that comes obviously a lot of problems in the marriage and in the family. Mm-hmm. If they're, you know, a person that's like, oh, I don't believe it, they should just, you know, toughen so, up and get over up. it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's not going to work. And it's going to cause disconnect and problems in the family. So it can be understood if you can kind of know what's going on in the brain and the sensitivity aspects. And just knowing it's like, okay, if you're going to bring your sensitive child to an event and you're not sensitive yourself, but you understand that it's your responsibility to help them take care of themselves through that event. Mm-hmm. Given, you know, I think that parents in general just need tools. Like if they yeah. understand, and I've seen this a lot. I would say it's a non-HSP dad with an HSP mom and an HSP kid. A lot of times I've seen that they do want to know what to do. Like they want to know sure. what works and how to make it better. And yeah. helping them understand that is going to be key. Right. I mean, not having the HSP trait or not being sensitive doesn't mean you don't care. It just means that you don't have the same understanding of what it feels like to have the high sensitivity yeah, Absolutely. like still care. Right. And, you know, things like if it might be easier if you're not sensitive, it might be easier for you to go attend, you know, two or three days of busy stuff in a row. But yeah. Yeah. you might end up seeing that your sensitive child is actually starting to have a meltdown. So I always recommend that for most sensitive people and children and infants, it's better to alternate busy times. So don't have two or three days in a row where you're super busy you got to have that downtime in between mm-hmm. to kind of get that uh, restorative time. Yeah. For infants too, then. Yes. Infants too. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if, yeah, I think you had mentioned attachment earlier and maybe this is like a whole other episode <laughs> too, <laughs> but I'm just so fascinated by, you know, the infant and their HSP traits. And if there's a miss in terms of kind of a mismatch, let's say in terms of temperaments and sensitivities between a infant and a parent, that my assumption, my theory, I guess, is that it would be a little bit harder to have a secure attachment or maybe just a little bit different kind of attachment. Is that yeah. a whole other episode? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say something about it. I think that, you know, everything is sort of magnified for a sensitive being. And if they're getting support and nurturing and care, they can have a secure attachment. Mm-hmm. And even if the mother is say, is an anxious attachment, for example, and you can still raise securely attached children, mm-hmm. even if you're anxious. Sure. So, but again, we have to understand what their needs are and yeah. all of it's kind of magnified depending on There's so much that happens in those first few years of life that set us up for our whole adult life too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So, right, I think I'm thinking of the anxious moms who tend to be a little bit more worried about these kinds of things, kind of the worry spectrum of, you know, am I going to mess up my kid if I feel this way or if I don't, you know, have this great and wonderful feeling connection with them in this first year of life and I usually am saying to them, well, you care or else you wouldn't be asking that question, which probably means you're already doing a great job. It just doesn't feel good. 
And that's very different than what they're actually doing. You know, they're doing all of the things to take care of their child, but they might be kind of internally preoccupied with the worry or especially I'm assuming if there's the HSP traits, then they might even be kind of overstimulated by their own anxiety or their own intrusive thoughts. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not doing a good job. They're usually doing a great job. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that in general, most moms are so hard on themselves. And I think sensitive moms are even harder on themselves. And I think that if you are a parent that, you know, experiences a lot of anxiety and a lot of high stress and you have children or you're going to have children, I think it's so important to work with a good therapist, Mm -hmm. to work with somebody who understands like how to get you to a place that you can let go of some of that anxiety because anxiety is treatable. I mean, I just find it amazing. This is why I want to get this information out into the community more and more into the medical community, psychology community is that there's so much that we can do with anxiety, high stress levels that impact somebody in a completely positive way. Like it's like a domino effect. And I've had so many people come to me over medicated with lots of side effects and lots of problems and getting the right kinds of support you know, working with a therapist that you connect with, if you're a sensitive person, finding somebody that either understands the trait or is willing to learn about the trait, I believe is incredibly essential to that therapeutic relationship. And there's so much that can be done. I just can't stress it enough for a new parent to work on what's going on for them in terms of that anxiety and stress 
because it's going to make an impact, a positive impact on everybody if you can do that kind of work. And really, changes get very fast. I see changes within Mm -hmm. just a few weeks. You know, people that thought they had to be on medication, thought they couldn't cope, they get the right kinds of tools. And within a few weeks, they're doing so well. Yeah. We just see it over and over again, especially with the sensitive system, because we also have a more advanced kind of activated insula part of the brain, which is part of our awareness and consciousness. It's like Mm -hmm. the seat of it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're directing someone to explore something about themselves, having that higher level of awareness and consciousness is going to be a gift. I mean, it's amazing how quickly an HSP can improve when they're given the right kinds of information. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent seen that in my practice. Once I started really digging into this trait and because I work with moms, 90% of my caseload is moms, new moms, and just so happens to be also a high percentage of HSP clients. This was the thing that was kind of missing. And once we assess for it and look at it a little bit more deeply, it just opens everything up. There's so much less self-judgment. There's so much more understanding. It's like almost like it gives them permission to ask for a break because now they realize they actually need it. Their brain needs it. It's not just this weird selfish thing that they, you know, I love understanding this trait for new moms and new parents. It just helps so much. Yeah, such a life changer. I, just even the part about reducing self-judgment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going <laughs> to that's gonna give you like 50% of your brain space back. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> I think there's so much that happens if we can remove that self-judgment. And it's interesting because what I've seen in my research is that most HSPs have a high level of self-judgment. We have yeah. such high expectations of ourselves yeah. and others. Mm-hmm. And it creates a lot of problems in our relationships sure. because of that high expectation, kind of measuring everything against perfection. And I think that if you have a highly sensitive child, I'm seeing a lot of misdiagnosis. We're seeing mm-hmm. misdiagnosis of ADHD. Mm-hmm. Even for adults, there's misdiagnosis of that and things mm-hmm. like bipolar and even anxiety and depression is sometimes misdiagnosed. So mm-hmm. I think that if you're a parent of what you think is a sensitive child, definitely getting an awareness of that, talking with your doctor about this trait, making sure that they understand it as well so that we're not misdiagnosing these kids. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Is there anything else you think would be helpful for parents who have infants who have the HSP traits? Mm, I think it'd be interesting to talk more maybe about the judgment piece, because I think that that's a big one Mm -hmm. of a parent in general, being able to be in a space that I think spending time with other parents that have similar values that align with you, as well as other sensitive parents or parents of sensitive kids. Mm -hmm. Because when you kind of find your tribe, Mm -hmm. there is such beauty in that. To walk around in the world feeling like you're different and misunderstood is very different than walking around in the world feeling understood and accepted, working on self-acceptance and trying to be you know, we can repair in ourselves if we need to, if we didn't get the kinds of support we needed in our own childhood, finding ways to develop our own sense of self-compassion. I do a lot of work around that because I think that if we can increase the self-compassion we have, anything that feels like a challenge gets easier when you've got self-compassion. That's so true. <laughs> so I think that there's such a importance of that and there's specific tools that you can do brain-wise to develop that because if we actually work on a self-compassion technique, for example, you 
literally light up a center in your brain that is calming. And when you light up that center of the brain, you deactivate that stressed out, anxious center because they can't be activated at the same time. So there's really specific things you can do that calm your system. I certainly had to work on that. I had no self-compassion when I started my work and Mm -hmm. before I understood about this trait and had to develop it. It's something, it's a skill building technique. If you're not going to be as good today as you are the 10th day of practicing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, this is again so enlightening and just I'm just so honored to talk with you about this and dig in deep to the high sensitivity traits as it relates to new parenthood. But now thinking about it in terms of infants and babies and children, it just whew, I this is such good information for us to all really, really wrap our minds around. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing this with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I love that you're out there talking about this and all the great work you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Julie, for coming on and giving us all of this information. Isn't this like so just mind blowing or maybe it's just me, but I don't think so because so many people are listening to these episodes. If you want to connect with Julie and see about her amazing work, go to juliebjelland.com, J-U-L-I-E-B-J-E-L-L-A-N-D. And she has a couple of really awesome new books out. One is called The Empowered Highly Sensitive Person, and you can get that from her website. And another book called Brain Training for the Highly Sensitive Person gives you step-by-step tools and tips that work specifically for the HSP brain. All right, and if you're a new listener, please subscribe so you can get all of these episodes downloaded directly to you every Monday. Come find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or find Mom and Mine on the Parents On Demand Network, where you can find lots of early parenting podcasts. Happy to have you with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.